Before we begin our Torah study, let's pray together. Blessed are you, Lord our God, King of the universe, who sanctifies us with his commands and commands us to engross ourselves in the words of Torah. Amen. I want to start in Genesis chapter 12, a foundational passage for those of us in the Messianic movement, for everyone who is joined with Messiah, and especially for everyone um, who has a desire to understand the call of the Jewish people and to be part of what God has promised to do for the Jewish people, through the Jewish people, and on behalf of the whole world, what he has in mind. So let's start in Genesis 12, verse 1. The Lord had said to Avram, and just in case you don't know, Avram was the given name of the one who became Abraham. Get out of your country, lech lecha, from your family, from your father's house to a land that I'll show you. And let me just pause right here. I think most of us who are here had to get up and we had to get out of something that was familiar and something that um, was close to us in order to become part of the Messianic movement and part of the Messianic synagogue. How many can confirm that? You had to leave something to come. And I can tell you this, like Abraham, there is a great reward for your obedience to the Lord. There is a great reward for your faithfulness and for your sacrifice. So God said to Abraham, lech lecha, let's say that, lech lecha, get yourself up, get yourself out, and really to come here, that's what you had to do. To join the Messianic movement, that's what you had to do. Verse two, I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great, and you shall be a blessing or another translation, be thou a blessing, or more simply, be a blessing. This is not in the future tense, it's in the imperative voice. It's a command, be a blessing. You're sitting next to someone who is called to carry on with this calling. So why don't you smile at them and say, be a blessing. Be a blessing, be a blessing. Be a blessing. Verse three, I will bless those who bless you. I will curse him who curses you. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. And another rendering of that, that last statement is to capture the reflexive voice of it is this. In you, all the families of the earth shall bless themselves. It's an interesting idea that all the families, all the nations of the world will learn to connect with God and with Abraham, and to take blessing, to receive blessing uh, in this way. So let's think about this. The orders that Abraham received, lech lecha, his responsibility, get up, get out. Now there are some people who want God to do everything. So if God does anything, they say he did everything. But they haven't really understood something. God has called us to do our part, he does his part. There are times when he says, don't do anything, just watch. 
And in such cases, that's what we need to do. There are other times when he says, lech lecha, get yourself up and get out. And if you have the wrong attitude, you'll say, well, I'm just going to wait and see if God gets me up. He sent his word that was directive. We respond by doing it. It's not enough to hear the word, Yeshua said. We need to hear his word and put it into practice. Lech lecha, that placed the responsibility on Avram to get up and go. God's responsibility was to show the land to him. And we can, we can see that it's more, it's more than just moving. Because think about it now, everybody moves. How many people are living in the same house you were born in here in Jacksonville? Okay, one. Congratulations. Two? You're in the same house? No, okay, just one. One. Okay. It's a shock there's even one. Right, because most of us are from somewhere. And people in America nowadays move roughly every five years. That is a statistic. I don't know if it's true, but... <laughs> I, I heard it once. Now, I, at one point it was true. I don't know what the current data is. But most of us do move around, even if we don't move uh, f from metropolitan area to met different metropolitan area, we do move around within the area. This is not just about moving. This is more than that. It's, it's about a calling that requires leaving something in order to be part of something. what you are called to be and what you are called to do. These are important aspects that are related to be and to do. And you probably heard the musician who combined them into dooby dooby doo. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I, I had to say that tonight, because I don't know if my wife will let me say that tomorrow when she's here. <laughs> but we're called to be, and we're called to do. Two different aspects that are related and connect to each other. Some of what we're called to be requires that we act. But Yeshua sort of summarized everything and, and said, why do you call me Lord, Lord, but you don't do? what I tell you. You say, I am a disciple, but you don't do. Therefore, you don't demonstrate the integrity of these two things, being and doing. So if we look carefully at the call of Abraham, it's not just a call to move, but it's also a call to be different. And he was called to be a father, but he wasn't a father. He was called to be the father of a nation. He was called ultimately to be the father of a community of nations. He was called to be a father of the Jewish people, the father of the Jewish people, but he was also called to be the father of all nations. He was called to be a father of faith. He was called to be a, the father of faith for Jewish people and for non-Jewish people. He was called to be a man of faith, to trust God for his sense of fulfillment. 
Many people are looking for, for fulfillment some other way. And if you try to find your fulfillment in all the ways of the world, you'll never be fulfilled. You'll never be filled up. There'll always be one more thing that promises to you, if you could just do this, if you could just get this, if you could just be different. But when you trust God for your sense of fulfillment, then even when you're waiting, as Rabbi Yuri was talking about last week, that timing is everything, you don't want to be the guy that gives up right before the victory. You don't want to be the woman who says, I can't do this anymore, right before you would have seen the fulfillment of everything. You want to be those who persevere. You want to be the kind of people that endure. You want to be a woman of faith. You want to be a man of faith, but you also want to be a faithful woman and a faithful man. You want to be trustworthy to God. It's not just that you trust God. You want to be dependable in God's eyes, that he could give you assignments and responsibilities. He could put his spirit in you, and you could be led by the spirit, and you could bear fruit of the spirit, not just gifts. Many people like gifts, but they're not so fond of fruit. You know why? Gifts come instantly, and they don't require character. Fruit requires time and the development of character. How many of us have prayed for the gift of patience? <laughs> but we know that patience isn't a gift. It's a fruit. And how is it developed? By waiting. <laughs> Abraham was a father of faith. He passed on his faith to others, and he passed it on faithfully. That's part of our call. As sons and daughters of Abraham, we're called to pass on faith and faithfulness to the generations uh, that follow us. He was also called to be an instrument of blessing. Um, how? By blessing other people, finding opportunity to bless them, uh, by being a source of blessing, by having generosity, by being willing to sacrifice the things that had been entrusted to him. The scripture tells us that he went out in obedience to what God told him, and he took Lot with him. And Lot was blessed by going with him. How do we become an instrument? How do we show we're an instrument of blessing? By being an example, be a blessing. It's not just talk about blessing, be a blessing. Act in a way that blesses others. Being and acting, bringing these things together, they are not, uh, they are not independent. They are together part of one whole. To be a true disciple of Yeshua means to be something and to do as a result of that. It's not just our behavior, though. It's born out of our nature. Becoming a new creation means that we're able to produce a different kind of fruit. Yeshua taught the way to determine what a tree is is look at its fruit. Not just the flowers, not just the leaves, but what does it produce? And when we say we want to produce the fruit of the Spirit, it's, it's, an, important, it's an important goal because we can determine whether we are producing the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is concrete. And we can look, do we have love? Do we have peace? Do we have joy? Uh, 
Do we bear the fruit? Are we winning other people to the Lord? Are we making disciples of other people? Are we investing our lives in others? Are we praying? Are we sacrificing for others? Are we serving faithfully? All of these things are details that we ponder and we act on because we've decided to be a blessing, because we've decided to follow the Lord, who calls us to do that. He hasn't called us just to live independent, individual lives. If he wanted that for you, he could have just put you on a desert island all by yourself. And you, like Tom Hanks, could have Wilson, the ball with you as your companion. But he's called us to not be alone, but to be people together with one another. It's interesting, when God created Adam, he had an observation. Adam, it's not good for you to be alone. But he wasn't alone. Think about that. Adam was with the Lord. But the Lord said, I don't want you to be alone. You need someone with you like you. And so, you know, the parade of animals came by. And even though guys like horses and dogs and things like that, not one was suitable. And so the Lord created woman out of man. And together the two become one flesh. And so we learn from this that, that we are made to be together with others. We are made to express the unity, the plural unity of God, his diversity, by being together. It's an important understanding. Now, it's also important to know the orders that you've received, to know what God has told you to do so that you can do it. And you can ask the question, what orders have we received from our commanding officer or from, our, um, from headquarters? Think of it like that, your commanding officer. When you say Lord, you know what you're saying? The one in charge over me the one who has authority over me, the one who can give me assignments, the one who can entrust me with responsibility, the one who can train me for my assignments so that I can become prepared. But it's good to know what are the orders that you're being given so that you can fulfill them. And I can tell you this, we can be confident that the Lord has given us orders to be a messianic synagogue together. We're not confused about that. We're not wondering. We don't wake up in the morning. It's like, well, what should we be today? <laughs> Maybe we should be something else. No, we know for sure. We want to be a messianic synagogue together. That's something you can't do by yourself. That means we'll be a community for Jewish people who are disciples of Yeshua. It means we'll be a community for all kinds of Jewish people who want to explore the life of faith and the new life in Messiah, even if they don't yet believe. We want to be a safe place where any kind of Jewish person could come and explore. And we want to be a community for people from all nationalities and ethnic groups who want to be joined with the Jewish people who are disciples of Yeshua. That's what we want to be. We want to be absolutely clear about that. That's who we're called to be. That's what we are. 
And so those who have that sense of calling have already experienced some kind of lech lecha, get up, get out from whatever you were doing, whatever community you were a part, and join the community of this kind. It's an important calling and it comes at a price. One of the prices is this, people will misunderstand you. <laughs> Big time. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, we're called to be a bridge that connects people, but you know what bridges are for? Getting walked on. <laughs> so we're called, we're called and we can be confident to be a messianic synagogue. And there's another aspect of it that we are called to fulfill the prophetic promise and purposes of Jeremiah 23. We cover this in every welcome class for everyone who's interested in the synagogue and in the Messianic movement. Jeremiah 23, verse three, the Lord says, then I myself will gather the remnant of my flock out of all the countries where I have driven them and bring them back to their sheepfolds. That's interesting. Back to a place where they can be a flock that uh, gathers together and is cared for. How many people, if, if you don't mind me doing this, you don't have to indicate, you know, if, if you're sensitive about this, I just don't happen to be sensitive myself. If you yourself, your parents, grandparents, or great-grandparents came to America from another country, how many of us can identify ourselves like that? Almost all of us, not all of us, but almost all of us. So there has been a lech lecha moment in somebody's life that got us here. It may have been our own, but this is what the Lord promises he's gonna do. I'm gonna gather that portion that remains of my flock out of all the countries where I have driven them and I'll bring them back to their sheepfolds. That's what's interesting. Back to the place where they can be um, cared for as a flock and they'll be fruitful and multiply. Verse four, I will also raise up shepherds for them and they will tend them and they will not be afraid any longer nor be terrified nor will any be missing, declares the Lord. That really is a great promise and it's one of the prophetic words that defines messianic synagogues and the messianic movement of synagogues. And it's one of the reasons why there is like a reassessment is what does it mean to be messianic, to be messianic Jewish, because there are all sorts of things going on that are now describing themselves as messianic Jewish, but they're not related to this calling. Churches wanna do something that's got a little bit of, you know, it's like Jewish light, uh, like Bud Light. It's, you know, not that many calories, and you won't fill up. Um, <laughs> I'm reaching. I overreached. Yeah. Could be. Could be. That's the danger. That, that is the danger. So, I, I remember once when I was uncertain about the Messianic movement, I didn't know that I want to be a part of it. And I was writing a college paper, and I actually wrote a paper against the Messianic movement. No, seriously. And I was arguing that Messianic Jewish was a term that would never be 
accepted by Jewish people who weren't such people. And it would be better to say that you were a Jewish Christian. So I wrote a paper arguing for this. And then years later, I renounced my paper. <laughs> yeah, because repeatedly I had gone to Israel and I had been following how um, Messianic Jews were being described over time. And at one point, they were described in the English uh, edition of the, of the Jerusalem Post as so-called Messianic Jews who are really evangelistic. That was a phrase that they said. I didn't know what evangelistic meant. Uh, I think they meant evangelical, but in their English, that wasn't a word either. So it was, it was that. And then, like a couple of years later, it was just so-called Messianic Jews. And then, wouldn't you know it, about a year or two after that, it was just Messianic Jews. And I was so surprised. But empirically, I had the evidence in front of me. Messianic Jews were uh, accepted as existing. Now, I'll post this on, um, on Messianic Jewish teachings now. I haven't had time for it. And then link to it at our social media. But I've been following an interesting thing in the political realm. I won't tell you everything about it, but um, Linda Sarsour, who um, has not been a friend of Israel by any means, or of the Jewish people, was tweeting back in the summer that Jesus was um, a Palestinian. And it ticked off Benjamin Netanyahu's son. So he tweeted back to her, wrong, you know, something like, how stupid could you be? Because, you know, he was up for a fight of some sort. And he, he said something like this, Jesus was a Jew, and the Bible tells us this. And the statement um, at the cross said he was king of the Jews. That was really interesting. So it was interesting that he was arguing this, and then a whole bunch of Jewish journalists based in Israel each started taking their turns, talking about uh, Jesus having been born in Israel of a Jewish family, proving that Jews have been in Israel all this time, and on and on it went. So the only ones who were really fired up by this were Israeli Jews who were fighting back on, in English on, on Twitter. And the idea that Israeli Jews are trying to rescue Yeshua from the clutches of another group and demanding that the world recognize he's a Jew. This is unthinkable. It reminds me of, and some people thought this was a joke when I told them about it at Messiah Conference a few years ago. The Pope was meeting with Netanyahu in Israel, in Jerusalem, 
but it's not a joke. I mean, this really happened. And Netanyahu said that Jesus was a Jew who spoke Hebrew. And the Pope said, no, he spoke Aramaic. And Netanyahu said, yes, Aramaic, but Hebrew also. And so they're arguing over how Jewish Yeshua really was. And it's Netanyahu who's, who's trying to uh, school the Pope in, in the fact that Jesus was Jewish through and through. And you couldn't imagine these things. You couldn't make these up, because if you make them up, it sounds ridiculous, right? But I'm just telling you the news, um, because it's so interesting and so funny. And, and so challenging. Who would think that in this day and age that some of the big advocates for the Jewishness of Yeshua would be Jewish people? but it's one of the great and important details of this modern era that we're living in. Well, I think it's important for us to also know that we're called to be a teva. Say that with me, teva. This is the word in, in the Torah that's, that's translated ark for Noah, but it's also the word that's, um, that's used to describe the basket that Moses was put in. Um, teva, which is like a, a rectangular construct, a box, you could better describe it as. So it's interesting that uh, the Teva of Noah had similarities to the Teva of Moses, and both have similarities to, to what we are doing. So Noah gave his life to building the Teva. He was directed by the Lord. It wasn't his idea, right? It was the Lord's idea. So it was at the Lord's initiative, and Noah built it over the course of his lifetime. It took a long time. And think about this. It had no sails. It had no rudder. There's no instruction about building those. It was guided by the Lord. It was actually built uh, for a flood. Think about that. So it was carried by the direction of the Lord. And in the same way, the Teva of Moses, his parents made it, but it was a basket. And like the Teva of Noah, it was, it was constructed and then it was covered with, um, with pitch, yeah. And um, that water made it watertight. And um, the parents of Moses didn't come up with this idea. They were directed by the Lord. They were being led and inspired by the Lord about doing this. And it also had neither propulsion or steering mechanisms in it. It was like the Ark of Noah, like the Teva of Noah. It was put on the water, and then the water carried it where the water would. But it wasn't just resignation. It was trusting the Lord. It was guided by the Lord. And in the same way, you and I are called to join together and to make sure that our Messianic synagogue is like a teva, that it's built for the safety of others, that it will carry us safely. 
and that it will bring us together to whatever goals and purposes God has in mind. Not just destination, but the ultimate purpose. This is so important to, to think about. When we're thinking about Abraham, he was called to another country, yes. And God said, I'll show you the country. But the country wasn't the destination. The country was associated with the purpose that God had in mind. It was an assignment to move in order to fulfill a purpose, to accomplish something. And if Abraham had simply moved, but he had lost sight of the purpose, the move would have been in vain. In the same way, it's not enough that we just gather together. We've got to hold on to our purpose. We've got to grasp our purpose. We've got to hold on to it. We've got to value it. I know when Sandy and I were, were sent by the Lord to the former Soviet Union, we went to Ukraine and Crimea and nearby countries with, with orders uh, after the end of the Soviet Union. And, and the orders really had two parts, to raise up shepherds for the house of Israel and, and to see those shepherds succeed by being congregational leaders who led messianic congregations. That was our goal and that was our purpose. And in this way, messianic synagogues would be planted and would grow and grow up. And so we're excited because that was our assignment, and as well, it's a continuing assignment here. But it also connects us to those who are in Ukraine and Crimea who have the same heart together and are mishpocha together. It's not that everybody there, even in the Messianic movement, is mishpocha with us. But we're rejoicing because of the great uh, mishpocha the great messianic leaders and congregations in Ukraine and Crimea who are mishpocha together and who are family also with us. And, and think about this, if I can change uh, images or, or metaphors. We each have been given vineyards to work in, but the vineyards are separated geographically, but in a sense, they're adjacent. Even though there is a vast geographic distance, we're working in the same vineyard of the Lord. We're called to do the same thing. We're called to produce the same kind of fruit. And even though our vineyards are in different countries, they're next to each other in the spirit. And it's an awesome calling to be part of a messianic synagogue. And, and I can tell you this, there are a lot of challenges. There are a lot of unknowns. There are many surprises, but it's a real privilege to build a messianic synagogue and to be part of a messianic synagogue. Now, I know there are some people who have a desire to reform the church. That's not my desire. My desire is to build the messianic community. And I believe when, as, when and as we're doing that, other believers can relate to us in a way that helps them as, as we become healthy, it helps them become healthy as well. We don't need to reform them. They've got their own historic challenges, which are severe. And I don't even know how you would go about accomplishing some of the, the reformations that have not yet been addressed that go back at least to the uh, third and fourth century when the bishops began to organize 
and they basically continued the work of the Seleucid Greeks, which was forbidding Jewishness on the part of the Jews. Forbidding Torah, forbidding Brit Milah, forbidding um, Shabbat, and, and so forth. And the bishops worked against Messiah and the people of Messiah and gave birth to a different religion, if you will. And it's hard to figure out how to reform that. I'm not trying to take that on. I don't want to take that on. What I want to do is be faithful to Yeshua. I want to be faithful to the first the pattern of the first Messianic congregations, which took responsibility as well to adapt and adjust as they welcomed in people from other nations, different people groups, different ethnicities, different cultures. They adapted and flexed in their structures and in the ways that they did things, depending on where they were, but they were united in this common cause. And so that's what I want to be a part of. And I think it's a privilege to do that. But I also know that it has eternal value in God's eyes. What we do together is important for us, but it's also important for eternity. And it's important thus for everyone of our generations from now until eternity. So we need to have a long-term view because you can't do this without a long-term view. That was true for Noah. I mean, can you imagine? He was told, uh, build a teva. Why? Well, it's gonna rain. What's that? Yeah, he was, he was an odd bird in all of humanity. But the long-term view of life sustained him, it, it sustained Abraham as well. It wasn't just about what do I do today, it wasn't just a temporary commitment, it was a life-fulfilling purpose. And when we grasp that and say, I'm not just joining a Messianic synagogue, I'm joining something that God is doing that he's been looking for people to participate in for 2,000 years now. And that requires a lech lecha. I had to get myself up. I had to go. I have to act. I have to take responsibility knowing that God is the one who will lead us. God is the one who will direct us. Um, and that the destination is, is not exactly an end point. This is a little tricky idea that I want to try to explain. Um, Maybe it's not a destination, even though God said to Abraham, I'll show you the land. I'll take you to a land you don't know. That sounds like the destination, but it is a destination, but it's not primarily a destination. It's, it's better to say it's a purpose or a goal or an aim, and it's related to geography, but it's not defined by geography, because we know as soon as Abraham got to this land, then there was a famine and he had to go to Egypt. And that was part of the process. And then there was a time when everyone was in that land and it was a small group 
of descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And then there was another famine and they had to go down to Egypt again. So there were times when the destination was subordinate to the purpose. So what unites us is not the geography, not the geography that we came from or the geography we came to, but the calling that we have. And what unites us is a sense of purpose. Yeshua described this in some way in Matthew chapter 24, verses 12 and 13. He's talking about the last days and he says, because of the multiplication of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold. And the Greek is using the the word agape, the agape love, the love of the believers will grow cold because of wickedness. Noah faced this. He lived in a generation where love had grown cold and and wickedness had multiplied. But look at verse 13, but the one who perseveres to the end will be saved. And that almost captures it. And yet there are people who persevere to the end, to the final moments, who will be with Yeshua, and Yeshua will say, I never knew you. So it's not just a matter of being there at the end. Do you get that? And the Greek helps us understand. Where where the word is translated end, the Greek is using a specific word, telos. Say that with me, telos. Which which really means the, the purpose, or the ultimate goal, or the, the real aim of something. And so Yeshua is saying the one who endures and holds on to the purpose, this one experiences the full dimension of salvation. So it's not just about a destination, it's about a purpose. And part of the purpose is to live together in faith and faithfulness, Jews and Gentiles. And if I can compare this, this this may be a stretch for some of you, it's like when all the animals gather together to go on the ark. They should have started eating each other. Am I right? And they should have started eating the people. The predators should have preyed on those that they wanted to consume, but they didn't. And if you remember one of my favorite words, adumbration. Yeah, that moment was a messianic adumbration that you can see in Isaiah 11, verse 6. The wolf will live with the lamb. The leopard will lie down with the goat. The calf and the lion and the yearling together. And a little child will lead them. And this is understood to be a messianic passage by um, the sages of Israel and by all messianic believers. So this is an adumbration not just about Noah's Ark, but about where God is headed. The people of different nationalities will learn not to devour each other and not to prey upon each other, but to be safe with each other and even to be safe with the little ones. 
if you can grasp that. When you get that and you say, wow, Noah's Ark has a lesson for Messianic synagogues. Messianic synagogues are called to be such a place. There are some lions among us, right? There are some wolves among us in a good way. There are some goats and some calves and some little kids and this and that. There's all kinds of folks here and different personalities, different temperaments, different aspects of uh, character. We, we, we are so diverse in so many ways. And what we're called to do is to accept each other and love each other and get along with each other and forgive each other and not eat each other. Not devour each other. It doesn't come automatically, but it is possible. And in fact, wherever the Spirit of God is poured out uh, upon a Messianic congregation, it becomes possible. We have to pay attention to it. We have to nurture it and develop it and encourage it. We have to work to be like-minded in this way. We have to develop a desire to prefer one another and to show kindnesses to one another and to live together harmoniously. It's very much like what you have to do when you get married. You have to compromise. You have to make do with, uh, with what you have to make do with. You have to appreciate each other. You have to be flexible. You have to be able to reach agreements. You can't just uh, polarize inside of a family in the same way in a congregation. We have to learn to do things differently than the world around us. The world is increasingly polarized and fragmented and can't see the good in the different. And if you're not the same as we are, you're against us and you're bad. And we have to be, we have to be another kind of people because we're called to be faithful to the calling of Abraham, to be a blessing for all nations, to be true to ourselves, not to dissolve. I mean, if someone tells you God is against ethnicity, they're wrong. If people tell you God is against culture, they're wrong. If people say, and, and oh, I'm, I'm gonna pursue this in the future, but if, if they use the mistranslation in English of one new man, they will miss what God is wanting to do. Because the Greek doesn't say one new man, it says one new humanity or one new mankind, which is corporate and plural and diverse. If you reduce it to one new man, then it's an individual thing and it means that person becomes a blended uh, androgyne. They become neither male nor female. They're neither Jew nor Greek. They have no culture and ethnicity or nationality. Um, they have no status in society. They're neither slave nor free. They're just nothing. That's not what it's talking about. It's talking about the Jews and the non-Jews not being adverse to each other, not being hostile to each other, not preying on each other, or, or becoming predators. It's talking about men and women uh, not misusing each other and having value together. It's talking about people of every social standing uh, having value and acceptance together in the community. And that's different from the world at large. It is another humanity, one new humanity that puts aside the hostilities 
of the things that separates us and finds way of not making war with each other but learning to love and appreciate each other. It's a different humanity. It's not just a different person. If you reduce it to one new man, that person blends and loses all their identity. And it's not what the language of the Bible says. And many translations get it right, but not all of them. But this catchphrase, one new man, I've often argued, simply means in America, one less Jew. It means the Jews assimilate into an American form of Christianity, and they dissolve and disappear. And that's not what God is talking about. When he says neither male nor female, he doesn't mean male and female will disappear. He means that the hostilities between those will not be active. That will disappear. And if you're confused about that and you think, oh, we should blend all genders, you can see for yourself where that leads. We, we can see evidence of the confusion that that leads to. And in the same way, if you say, we're just going to blend all the ethnicities into one homogenized new man, you'll have the same thing, a confused world. People who don't know who they are and where they came from, they won't recognize the values and the strengths of their family and ancestry, nor will they be able to address the weaknesses and vulnerabilities of what uh, their family gave them. And thus they can't grow, they'll be lost. Uh, they'll be uprooted. There's so much good that God wants to do for us, and that's why we need to hold on to the purpose. What is this purpose? It's, it's the restoration of Israel's faith, the restoration of Israel's mission to be a light for all the nations of the world, the restoration of Jewish faithfulness to the Lord through Messiah. And it's the redemption and restoration of all the nations of the world. God is not wanting to get rid of the nations. He's wanting the nations to be transformed into a new humanity. And it does require Messianic Jewish synagogues and flocks. It requires this. It won't happen without it. You can look and see how well has the world done in terms of peace and well-being in the last uh, umpteen hundred years. Not so good. But the early Messianic community learned to embrace one another, not make war with each other, not be hostile to each other, and not demand that everyone assimilate and blend into one same kind of person. It's an important lesson for us. And we're, we're living it out. And it takes time, and it takes multiple generations. This is, what year is this in the Hebrew calendar? Out loud? 5780. And just think about this. This is my closing thought. If 6,000 years are given on this calendar until the coming of Messiah for his 1,000-year reign, then there's still 220 to go. It's not a short time. It requires a long-time view. Now, if he comes more quickly, good. But if your only plan is it's got to be quick. If he doesn't come in a minute, we're gone. Then you will not be like Noah, and you will not be like Abraham, and you will have no ability to build an ark 
that can be useful to others for their salvation, their redemption, and their preservation. With that, we stop. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the call of Abraham that it inspires us today. We thank you for the words of Yeshua to hold on to the purpose, to not give up. And let us be like those who persevere. Let us be those who do not fall short. We don't love our lives so much that we would even shrink back from death. But we're bold to go on, and we know, Lord, that we have died, and we have been raised from the dead in Messiah. And we live not for ourselves, but we live for you. Let it be, Lord, that we learn to love one another, we learn to respect each other, we learn to forgive each other, we learn to join together with all of our diversity, all of our differences in language and background and culture and ethnicity. And we find strength in that because of Yeshua. Amen. So let's close with Aaron's blessing. Don't forget to get a copy of the um, brochure for the Shabbaton coming up next week. If you're standing by yourself, if you don't mind moving a bit, that'd be great. Yivarechecha Adonai v'yishmarecha. Ye'er Adonai panavelecha v'yichunecha. Yisa Adonai panavelecha v'yasemlecha shalom. The Lord bless you. The Lord keep watch over you and protect you. The Lord cause the light of his face to shine upon you. The Lord be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his face to you and give you his peace. In the name of Yeshua, the Prince of Peace. Amen. Shabbat shalom. Shabbat shalom.